This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Doug Ford was sworn in as Premier on June 29th, claiming his PC government would be, quote, Ontario's first ever government for the people, and that is people with a capital P. So he's moved quickly on several fronts. Some things are exactly what he said he would do, like cancelling cap and trade, although that seems to be having unintended consequences, like nixing school repairs. And some measures are not what you would have expected from him, quite frankly. He suspended a new anti-scalping provision that would have limited the resale price of concert and sports tickets to no more than 50% above face value. Uh, Wouldn't that help? the capital P people. His government also decided not to enforce new provisions that strengthen the powers of police oversight bodies on the basis that that undermines confidence in the police. And he's refused to share the cost of resettling the wave of asylum seekers entering Canada from the U.S., thousands of whom are now crowded into overcapacity shelters in Toronto. So how's he doing? What do you think? The numbers to call 416 360 0740, toll free 1 866 744 740. But first, we go to Melissa Lansman, who is fresh off the Ford campaign and into the private sector, and Kim Wright, who is an NDP strategist and uh, is also, like Melissa, you're now sisters at, <laughs> at Hill and Knowlton. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Hey, Melissa, are you there? Thank you for having me. Okay, hi, and uh, welcome to this new chapter of your life. So, Melissa, let's start with you. Uh, how would you say Doug Ford is doing in his first couple of weeks? Look, I, I think that, um, you know, Doug Ford, the Premier has come in with a strong mandate, and he hit the ground running. He's doing what he said he would do. That starts with the cap and trade. He's had a busy, even a transition period that was busy. He met with the uh, foreign affairs minister, uh, talked about protecting jobs uh, on the on the NAFTA front. He's cut, um, you know, he, he made the promise on cutting uh, cap and trade, the carbon tax, as I call it. Um, he's uh, he's met with both the prime minister uh, and uh, and the mayor of Toronto, talking about. Uh, refugee uh, issues, and, and particularly in Toronto, but the, the gun and gang violence that uh, we've been experiencing. Um, he's appointed, He's made some, some great appointments. I think he's, he's, he's made a particularly good one with uh, uh, Dr. Ruben Devlin. Ah, I want to get to that. Uh, but first, I'm going to let Kim, if you can just give us a brief, brief overview of what you think, how he's doing before we get to that appointment. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that a number of... Uh, that the Premier Ford wanted to move quickly on some big changes. You always want to put your own stamp on a government while you're looking at things. Uh, There were some uh, changes to ministries that I thought 
didn't necessarily need to be cut down from 28 ministries to 21 uh, ministers, uh, creating some monster ministries of energy, indigenous affairs, northern development and mines, all in one uh, responsibility. So some of those things were concerning. And certainly to your point earlier, Libby, of cap and trade, the unintended consequences of that would be to municipalities and certainly, as we saw yesterday, uh, to schools and that school backlog repair. And those kids that were sitting in sweltering temperatures going into the summer are going to have just as many sweltering temperatures coming back into the fall for both teachers and students. And that's going to be a challenge for learning. Okay. Uh, Melissa brought up the appointment of Reuben Devlin. And I, I want to hit on that before we uh, get back to this question of the unintended consequences. Uh, I don't think there is any question that he is a good guy to appoint. However, given, Melissa, that Doug Ford was on about how uh, people are overpaid, and it's possible to get good leaders for less money. He made this appointment kind of in a slightly sneaky way. There wasn't a big splashy announcement. It was an order in council is $350,000, which is a lot of money. And you even have Doug Ford saying, well, Ruben doesn't really need the money. I mean, doesn't that seem at least optically the wrong way to do that? Look, I think attracting good people to government, people like with experience, um, like Reuben, he was a hospital CB, uh, um, CEO uh, that had, you know, he was the head of the first digital hospital in North America. He's an orthopedic surgeon. We should be happy that people like this want to come in government. I think there's about, you know, seven instances in the campaign where he said, you know, Reuben uh, will be uh, sort of a senior advisor on health. He understands the systems. He understands. He understands what's broken uh, with the healthcare system after the 15 years of uh, no, I get of that. Liberal government. But doing it like that, and and really for that very high salary, and you know, some people say, well, he he made more as a hospital CEO, but he was no longer the hospital CEO. You know, this is this is this is something that is coming as a surprise to a lot of people. Ruben was out on the uh, campaign trail. He was, uh, you know, he was in our uh, he was an advisor on our campaign. He has always been um, an advisor to Doug Ford, and having him sort of sit with the Ministry of Health, I think, is a good thing uh, for Ontario. And yeah, I I'm think just it's asking about that particular amount of money in the context of of all the things that Doug has said all along. Look, I, I think there's going to be a line-by-line audit in, in the department. Um, I think having Ruben there at, uh, you know, at $350,000 is worth every penny because I think he's going to be able to find uh, efficiencies and center um, his mandate around patient care, uh, not a bloated bureaucracy. And what do you make of that, Kim? Just that, that number, is that optically bad? The number is optically bad when you fire the day before Ed Clark, who was being paid a dollar a day. But that being said, well, Dr. Ed, Ed Dr. Clark Devlin, was the architect of the Hydro One privatization. He, he and, had a lot of problems. Yeah. And there were a lot of issues. And there are, you know, lots of history and baggage. And look, every new premier will come in yeah. and put their own stamp on things. I'm actually not as uh, interested in the amount uh, that Dr. 
Javelina is being paid. He is a well-experienced, well-established uh, doctor and hospital administrator. Uh, I guess the question that comes to a lot of people's question in their mind is the role that he will play as sort of not quite a deputy minister, not quite the minister, but certainly an advisor to the premier. And what does that look like? What everyone has said, what Andrea Horvath said throughout the entirety of the campaign, and a number of journalists and others have asked, will be what those efficiencies look like. And uh, we're starting to see there are questions about that and what are those big ticket items that will have to make up that four cents on every dollar of government, especially when half of that comes from hospital funding. And well, funding. and it's it's going to be very interesting, I think, because what a lot of very smart people, including Ruben Devlin, say is that the part of the answer or a big part of the answer for this problem is technology. And guess what? That costs a lot of money. Uh, Melissa, let's get to uh, the cap and trade and some of the unintended consequences. Now, I'm not sure if this, how much of this cut to school repairs was retrofitting to make it more energy efficient or, or just to repair stuff that's broken, because we know that just a lot of schools are in bad repair. Yeah, look, I think that every government has to ensure sort of an orderly wind-down of a program. But let's remember, this this government spent the entire campaign talking about scrapping uh, the carbon tax. So in terms of contracts that have already been signed, orders, orders that have already been made, I think those decisions have to happen on a specific sort of case-by-case basis. But when it comes to school repairs, there's a $16 billion repair backlog in Ontario um, over the last 15 years of, uh, uh, of of Liberal government. You know, it's it's the former Premier, it's Kathleen Wynne herself, and the Liberals closed more schools than any other government in our province's history. So there is a bit of, you, you've got to wonder if it's a bit disingenuous to say that, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, a few months before the election, this fund goes to fixing schools. Well, where was that money before? And uh, the other question that that I, I hope that perhaps they deal with, who can forget the stories at the Toronto District School Board about $400, was it uh, outlets or, or just the exorbitant cost of some of these crazy uh, costs for repairs? So yeah. I don't know. I think that has to come with somebody looking at each ministry, sort of a line-by-line audit of how contracts are uh, uh, awarded. This has to be a full-scale um, plan to look at how government has spent their money. And I'm, I'm certain, and if you ask anybody, can you find four cents on the dollar? And I think the answer is yes. I think mm. most people laugh. Yes, you can always find four cents on the dollar, but what does that look like and what does that impact on people's lives? And look, I am no fan of the... The, uh, former governments not spending money on on schools and school repair backlogs. Part of the reason that some of those backlogs are so uh, outrageous is that these are old schools that, frankly, some of them need to be fully replaced. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, things that are in the, those schools that are being held together by uh, bubblegum binder twine and duct tape. And that needs to be addressed so students can have the tools that they need to learn. And making sure that that's part of education, part of the education funding formula model refresh that frankly needs to be done, and I think everyone would agree on that. Uh, All of these things have to be done. And to Melissa's point, and I frankly agree with her, if these things were a priority over the last 15 years, the Liberal government would have done them. Uh, They need to be a priority. Those kids need to be a priority, and those learning conditions need to be a priority. Now, 
stopping this anti-scalping provision, what's was that just about not putting in a, a liberal law? Because it's it's hard to see how that would not help people. I mean, concert goers and the funny story that I did not know until this morning when I was on breakfast radio uh, was that this all started when Yasser Nakvi couldn't get tragically hip tickets. <laughs> look, I think, but, um, I think when you look at everything, and I, I agree with you as somebody who tries to go and see events in, uh, in Toronto, uh, life can get pretty expensive pretty quickly. And when there is a third party sort of reseller of tickets that's charging two or three times um, that amount, uh, it's very frustrating. Uh, however, it's egregious. I th- yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, but I think that we need to look at how we enforce those things. And can you really go after a third-party seller that's, say, based in the United States that's reselling tickets here? What recourse do you have to actually tell them, you know, that, it's, that you can't sell for, for 50 cents? You actually don't have the ability to do that. So I think it's a question of going back to the drawing board and figuring out how we actually enforce the laws that we announce with, you know, uh, with fancy photo ops. Okay, we're we're about to get to the tough stuff, but Kim, uh, go I, ahead. I can see I, you want to I, say I, something. I am always for fancy photo ops, but uh, getting legislation actually passed and approved and and move forward on them, and I think the previous government was quite good about the fancy photo ops. Uh, what people are actually looking for is action, and they're looking for Premier Ford uh, to to enact legislation that will make their lives easier, and we're all hoping for that. Everyone, every. Ontarians looking for things that will make their lives easier, uh, and we look to the government with their with their supermajority to help with that. Okay, well, let's take a call from Greg in Pickering. Hi, Greg. Well, hi, Libby. Um, <clears throat> I just want to make a few comments about Doug Ford's performance. Overall, I think uh, the man is trying to do a good job, and I, I agree with some of your callers uh, just uh, on the line I was listening uh, regarding uh, this business of line by line looking at expenses, it's almost as if a forensic audit, a full-fledged forensic audit, should be somehow uh, put together for many of these uh, expenses. Ministry of Health, uh, Ministry of Education. Yes, the schools need repairs, etc. And I think that uh, Dr. Rubin, uh, his mandate should probably be expanded to look at very very carefully and very distinctly the salaries that some of these CEOs of hospitals in this province Like he himself got? (laughs) This is sometimes ridiculous. Some of these people are not even doctors, and they're pulling in big, big bucks. And, of course, the previous government used to say, well, we got to hire people that are qualified. If not, they'll go to the States. No way they're going to go to the States. No way. There's no jobs over there. So... You know, altogether, Mr. Ford is trying to do, trying to, to trying to repair what we we've been suffering for 15 years under the Liberal government. And the other thing, I just want to make a quick comment about this uh, business of legal people coming in and so on. Once again, the federal Liberal governments are falling down on the job. People, you know, like what about the people that that existed in this province that needs help? Thousands and thousands and thousands of, of families. 
are, are going for, for you know they're, they're going begging if you if you will. And uh, okay, okay, okay Greg, I think I think we uh, we get your point. Thanks very uh, much for your call. Uh, thank you. Bye. Okay, bye bye. Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I am talking to Melissa Lantzman from the Ford campaign, now at Hill and Knowlton, and her Hill and Knowlton NDP colleague, Kim Wright, and we're talking about those first two weeks. So let's talk about the refugee issue, because that is obviously the biggest hot potato on the horizon. Doug Ford has said, uh, we are not participating in paying for taking care of these people. He met with the Prime Minister on Friday. He got a bit of a talking down. The Prime Minister told him that he didn't really understand the law. Melissa, do you think he got out of that okay? Yeah, I think he uh, I think he got out of it uh, rather unscathed. I, I think the important point is is that Ontario will always be a welcoming province. But I, I think what Ford was saying is that it, it's a welcoming province for those who come legally. There's a process, um, and that process currently isn't being followed. And I think that he agreed with uh, with Mayor Tory to sort of escalate this for to to the federal government for for some help. I mean. We're talking about 28,000 people that have uh, have crossed the border that are putting a uh, uh, some real pressure on uh, on our system. Kim, from a political standpoint, no one has ever won a battle with the Ford family by talking down to them and suggesting they don't understand things. Frankly, all that does is energize uh, him, his base, and, and the folks that are around him. Uh, but I think this is a complicated matter. This is absolutely complicated because of of geopolitical situations, certainly what's happening in the U.S., but also what's happening around the globe. And I think it requires a a broader conversation. But so, too, does just how we take care of people who live here, however they came to Canada and however they came to Ontario, making sure that there is affordable housing, making sure there is access to schools, making sure there's access to health care. Premier Ford himself, when he was a councillor, supported sanctuary cities. So all of this uh, bluster about what do we do it requires people to sit down and really have a rethink of the role of government and the role of agencies and how we and how we move forward. Well, I, I've said before, and I know that the Conservatives, both federally and provincially, are laying the blame squarely on the Justin Trudeau tweet, which which really, really is facile to, to think that 900 million displaced people around the world that we would be immune from this, I think, is really naive. However, you know, there, there has to be something uh, to stem the tide or to deal with it. They've touched on the fact that maybe there are other places other than Toronto where there is actually room. And uh, I think there has to be some kind of massive deployment of judges to deal with it I think more there quickly. Also, there also needs to be, a, you know, and the federal government, to their credit, have started to rethink housing. But it has taken decades for people to start really rethinking affordable housing. Uh, you know, we look at in the city of Toronto, Toronto community housing, uh, there is a mess. Is a mess and, and frankly, really needs to be rethought of. How we house people, how we care for people, it's how we're seen on the world stage. It's one thing to be welcoming. It's what do you do to keep people feeling welcomed uh, within within our society? 
Is I that... think so. We we've got to go back to the the uh, the start of this problem. The Ontario government they offer a sort of wide range of supports to uh, to people coming in. That's you know employment, language training, uh, bridging programs. But at the crux of the IRB, the Immigration Refugee Board, is, is taking sometimes two years to hear sort of claims, uh, refugee claims. That's too long. There's, you know, something needs to be done um, with with the, with the people who are who are real refugees, not not economic migrants, but 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 real refugees, uh, you know, and those who are sort of waiting in uh, in the queue and sort of have followed the process. And this isn't a new problem. You know, this was certainly a problem. Uh, that the current prime minister and current premier and current mayors are facing across Canada, but this was also a problem uh, under Prime Minister Harper, and you know we're we're seeing but a similar not as challenge. big not as big a problem, and there's also this loophole about coming in through the. Uh, irregular border crossings. There's also something to be said about the amount of conversations we have as Canadians, given social media and the rise of social media, that I think Prime Minister Harper didn't quite have to face until the end of his term. That's true. All true. And uh, he didn't have uh, what's happening in the States uh, to exacerbate the the situation. You know, when you see those pictures of those children who were separated from their parents and you say, well... You know, that's not going to happen in Canada. Let's hear from Paul in Georgetown. Hi, Paul. Hi, Libby. Uh, I love your show. It's Thank very you. necessary. Thank you. It's terrific. Um, two, two quick comments. The doctor that was hired for the Ruben Devlin Medicine, uh, I believe he was CEO. I'm sure he's a fine fellow, and I believe he was CEO of, of Humber River Hospital. Correct. So it's not that it just came up. No, no, no. The, the, no I'm, I wasn't saying that. I was just saying that to have it come up sort of, uh, you know, a little sneakily without an announcement. And for that level of salary, I think, uh, is optically very strange for that government. That's all I was saying. Not that no, he no, was... I, I meant it's not the issue just came up. So why didn't he fix it before and, and all of a sudden now get 340000 and fix it? I don't understand why... Well, he started the first fully digital hospital in North America, which is a thing to behold, and it's fabulous. It cost over a billion dollars to build that one hospital, $1.2 billion. That hospital actually, quite frankly, changed how hospitals were uh, contemplated. Uh, I helped to some of the approvals of the City of Toronto at the time, and it was really groundbreaking of how they were con- reconfiguring it. I think they've had some like that in places like Japan. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll bring... just see a miracle now that now that he's being paid to, to solve this particular problem. I'm being a little facetious. My second point was the line-by-line uh, point that we're going to go through. I think the people know line-by-line what goes on. Politicians really don't know everything they lead us to believe. And maybe a website of the people sending in, well, here's a line, and let me give you my thought or my opinion on where we could... Uh, save some money here. Well, it's or like there. the sli- snitch line, but social media, not by the phone. Okay, there's a thought. You never know. Very good. Thanks, Paul, for Thank your you, call. Lady. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, yes, Melissa, you were about to say something. Well, I, I was going to say if, if Ruben can bring some of this uh, this rigor and some of this technology to the thinking of government, I think we'd be better off as a, a system as a whole. I hope that we can have 
sort of a Humber River model in every single one of our hospitals. We don't have our... the money for that. <laughs> There's no way. Well, I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that he can figure out a uh, a workaround with uh, with a lot of his expertise from uh, from the private sector. I, I was also talking to a number of of serious experts on this, and what they say is that focusing on the hospital end of the equation is really the wrong way to go. And even though there have been some increases in home care, what we really need are massive infusions into home care, which is a lot cheaper. And you can then move out the so-called ALC alternative level of care, the people who are in hospital because they have nowhere to go. And that is really a more cost-efficient way to go. But again, it's a, it's a lot of money that has to move to fix that part of the system. Yeah, hospitals have frankly become a bit of a safety net for communities. Yeah. Uh, especially when you have aging populations, people like myself who had moved away from home uh, but still wanted to make sure my parents were taken care of over the years and making sure that they had the right supports in community. It's also a challenge in rural and remote communities to make sure that there's equity ac- equal access to care. Hospitals do an amazing job of trying to manage all of the things they're trying to do, uh, but there is an overarching question about how does healthcare be managed? What does that look like from from everything from pharmacists to home care to personal support workers and just community-based supports? And I think those are those are the broad conversations we need to have, not just about health uh, hospital care as part of healthcare. Okay, let's hear from Mike and Mississauga. Hello, Mike. Hey, how's everybody doing? Everybody's great. Gorgeous okay, day. I have three comments, but I'll try to make it quick because I see the time here is at yeah. the hour. Uh, I think it was a good idea to hire Dr. Devlin. Hiring him is like hiring the hacker, the computer hacker, because he's been the guy on the other side of the other side of the coin. He's been the guy that's trying to maximize profits. He knows where where all those expenditures are that maybe are a little bit precarious, because that's what a hospital CEO does, right? To maximize profits any CEO of any company. So we've got the guy that's been on the inside Profits? now to help us out. Not we we don't have a for-profit hospital system here, but but yeah, he knows how hospitals run for sure. Well, don't we get charged like $5 a, a Tylenol every time one is, you know, uh, distributed in the hospital? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But my second comment is I thought it was irresponsible to say that our, our, our schools are being held together by bubble gum and duct tape. I, mean, I, I, I was being a bit facetious, and I take I take your point. There, but there are a lot of schools that are having challenges. And what about all those portables? Absolutely. And how do we reconfigure? Some of these were built as you know a response to the baby boomers. And, when I, when and, I went to high school, I, I was in a portable in grade nine, and I wore my winter jacket because it was a little bit cold in the wintertime, but I didn't mind it. It was the heat that was the killer. Right. Well, yeah, and that's coming up. Mike, thanks for your call. Okay, uh, and Mike was actually noticing the time. Thank you, Mike, for that. We have to wrap things up. Kim, how long of a honeymoon does he have? Do you see dangers? And, and what's the role of, of the NDP? Because really, there's almost no liberal party left. So how is the NDP going to handle 
bigger responsibilities, I guess, as opposition. You know, that's been the extraordinary thing, and, and really taking their time of figuring out their new caucus members, bringing them up to speed about parliamentary process, so they can really hit the ground running with a new legislative session that starts with a throne speech on Thursday and the Speaker of the House being chosen. So being able to spread out those responsibilities, but you're still going to see people like Franz Jelena, who's been the health care critic, uh, take a, a lead role, John Van Toff and finance, Catherine Fife, all of these uh, stellar uh, uh, MPPs who are coming back uh, into those critic responsibilities, but having a broader conversation and making sure that people understand what are those unintended consequences of government, holding them to account. That's the job of leader opposition. Okay. Uh, Melissa, how long do you think this honeymoon will hold? And do you see anything as a possible roadblock uh, very quickly ahead for the Ford yeah, government. Look, I think we have we're coming up on a on a unique uh, situation where we have a summer sitting, and you'll see some of the priorities that uh, that Ford spoke about uh, during the campaign to move forward. He's got a lot of sort of big issues ahead of him. He's got NAFTA. He's got cannabis. These are all going to come to to head really quickly, and I think that he's put together a strong cabinet um, with strong counsel to uh, to tackle these and uh, really make good on his commitments. Okay, ladies, thanks so much. I am sure that we'll be talking about this very soon, and congratulations to you, Melissa, on your new job. Thanks very much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.